Champions versus Contenders, Season 3 of Australian Survivor. There's a lot of talk about the champions being those that have risen to the top of their field in public life versus the contenders who are just your everyday Aussies. I think in Australia especially, you know, we've got our tall poppy syndrome. We like to cut down those tall poppies. We don't like people straying too far from the rest of the herd. And we'd love a true underdog story that's going to battle their way from the bottom. It's very interesting as well if, if you weren't aware that the next season of the US Survivor that's going to air towards the end of this season in Australian Survivor is actually David versus Goliath. So it's very interesting that those two very similar themes are coming out at the same time. Today I want to talk about that idea of champions versus contenders, of David versus Goliath, of the clear power versus the underdog. And this comes from a book by Malcolm Gladwell, and it's a story that I think everybody has heard but a story that not everybody knows perhaps some of the things about the story that make it not so obvious in the first place. Before I tell you this story, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Flint. Obviously, it's extremely important out there. We saw the champions winning Flint thanks to a little sneaky sneaky by, uh, by Brian Lake against Heath, and they got their Flint, they got their fire straight away. Jackie nailed it, looked like first go just about. Whereas the contenders didn't get their flint and they struggled, they couldn't get fire. So flint is vitally important early on in this game. I recently bought flint from Aussie Disposals. i got to say that I <laughs> still am yet to make a fire. So lucky for those uh, contenders. I'm not one of them out there because I'll be absolutely useless even with the flint. But i got to say that it was, it's good fun to try. Aussie Disposals is the outdoor adventure store. They've got stores all across Australia, or you can find their online store at aussiedisposals.com.au. They've got all your camping needs to make it more comfortable, and they've got some great flint, which is exactly the same uh, look as the one that they use on Survivor, and I reckon it's great to get out there and practice. If anyone's got any tips for me, I'd love to hear it, but check out Aussie Disposals. Uh, They're great, and thanks to Aussie Disposals for joining the podcast as a sponsor for this season. Let's get into this story here. It's a story that I think you've all heard before, but there are a few elements that you won't have heard that completely change the whole shape of the story. This story is thousands of years old, and it's a battle in the region of the Shephelah in Israel. Now, the Shephelah is this series of valleys between the coast and the mountain ranges. So if anyone sailing in from the coast wants to get up to the mountains of Israel, they need to go through these valleys of the Shephelah. So the Philistines, a people originally from Crete, a seafarer's people, they made their way to the coast of Israel and they wanted to go and capture Bethlehem, which would essentially allow them to split the kingdom of Israel in two. Now, the Israelis obviously didn't like that and King Saul took an army of soldiers down to meet them. Now, at the valley here, the Israelis settled in to the north ridge, while the Philistines settled in to the south ridge. Neither army budged. They were deadlocked. Because in order to try and attack the other side, you needed to head down the ridge, across the valley, and up the ridge to meet the other side. And you're just, you're sitting ducks that whole time. You're completely open. So, instead, as a way to break this week-long deadlock... They wanted to follow this tradition known as singular combat. 
and it was a way of settling these disputes without either side incurring the massive bloodshed of a major battle. So the Philistines sent down their mightiest warrior, this six-foot-nine giant, head-to-toe decked out in bronze armor. He had a shield. He had a spear. He was in every sense of the world. word he was intimidating. Obviously not quite as, as tall as Heath from, from Survivor this year, but quite a large man. The Israelites, they were shaking in their boots. No one wanted to take on this absolute beast. And it wasn't until this young shepherd boy, tiny, skinny, little, frail shepherd boy, went up to King Saul and said, I can take him. It was, seemed ludicrous to King Saul and to all the Israelites, but they had really no choice. And the shepherd boy said, look, I've been defending my flock of sheep from wolves and lions for years. I reckon I can take him. So King Saul thought, the least I can do, let me give you this armor. But the shepherd boy said, I can't wear that armor. I haven't proved it. You know, I'm not worthy of it. I've never worn it before. And instead, he just picked up five small stones, popped them in his little sack, and walked down the hill to meet the giant. The giant yelled out to him as he saw this figure coming, Come to me so that I can feed your flesh to the birds of heaven and the beasts of the field. This intimidating chant. And as the shepherd boy walked up to the giant, the giant just saw that all he was carrying was just his shepherd's staff. He was insulted, this giant. This giant had a spear and a sword, and all this little shepherd boy had was his shepherd's staff. And the giant said, Am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the shepherd calmly reached into his pouch, grabbed one of those small stones, popped it in a sling, slung it around a couple of times, released it, hit the giant right between the eyes in the most vulnerable spot, and knocked the giant out cold. The Philistines, waiting on their southern ridge, saw this and turned and absolutely bolted. Now, if you haven't guessed by now, the name of that young shepherd boy was David, and the name of that giant was Goliath. And the reason that it's so interesting, and the reason that you're about to find out how it applies to Survivor, is that everything that you think you know about that story, everything I just told, is wrong. Now, this story is important because we all see David as the classic underdog. And in fact, you know, this David versus Goliath victory has entered our you know, our lexicon for any sort of unlikely victory of this, this underdog overcoming, you know, the immense odds against the clear power. You know, some of the reasons we see David as the underdog is, you know, he's just a kid going up this, uh, up against this massive giant. Also, Goliath is this experienced warrior against David, who's, you know, just a shepherd who's never really fought this combat before. And the most important reason we see is Goliath. He's decked out in all this shiny modern weaponry. He's covered in armor and he's got a sword and a, and a spear. And David has just this sling. And that's the first mistaken assumption that we make. The reason being, in ancient times, there were three classes of army men. You've got your cavalry, which were on horsebacks and in chariots. You've got your heavy infantry, 
which is short swords and shields and guys on foot. And you've got artillery, which is the archers and the slingers. So Goliath is this heavy infantry, this massive giant with heavy armor and a big sword, whereas David is a slinger. Now, this is not a, a slingshot like you used to, uh, like the kid's toy, but instead this leather pouch with two straps on it, and you whack a rock in there and you hurl it around and release it, throwing it straight. And the assumptions, I guess, that you know historians have made is that at the speed at which they're slinging this, it's being released at about 35 meters per second, and the calculations on the ballistics saying it's effectively got the same power, this rock, this stone being released through this sling, as a modern-day handgun. And if an, an experienced slinger has this precise accuracy to be able to hit someone like Goliath in the most vulnerable position between his eyes, it's deadly. Goliath has literally brought a knife to a gunfight. And Goliath really is the underdog in that scenario. Goliath's expectation when he challenged the Israelites to a battle was that he would be competing in this hand-to-hand combat, heavy infantry versus heavy infantry. He wasn't expecting to come up against a slinger with this deadly accuracy from such close range. That's why he said, Come to me so that I may feed your flesh to the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field. Come to me, as in he was expecting another person to come up next to him physically so they could battle it out next to each other rather than someone slinging a stone from a couple of meters away. Even King Saul had that exact same expectation because when young David said that he was going to go fight him, King Saul tried to give him the armor because the armor would be used in hand-to-hand combat of this heavy infantry, you know, a sword fight, so you'd want to have armor. Whereas David knew that he was never going to be fighting hand-to-hand. He wasn't going to engage in a sword fight, and the armor would simply weigh him down and detract from his agility and performance. So you've got David, who's for years been defending his flock against lions and wolves, using the sling with deadly accuracy. And then you've got Goliath, who's weighed down by hundreds of pounds of armor, who's a massive giant with no agility. He's literally a sitting duck. So why do we still keep referring to David as the underdog and his victory to be so unlikely? So the first issue was that idea of the the choice of weaponry. We see this giant with his weapons and all David had was a slingshot. But we've just disproved that whole idea saying that David really had the upper hand in that scenario. The other idea that we get wrong is about Goliath. We view Goliath as this monster of a man that he is. And we see that as some kind of advantage, that he's huge. Of course, he should beat a small shepherd boy in a fight. So David has been built up as the greatest warrior you know, that has ever lived. But there's references throughout the Bible, which I must admit I haven't read, but I've thankfully read Malcolm Gladwell's interpretation of it. It says that he was led down to this battle arena by an attendant. Someone walked him down, you know, guiding him by hand, which is weird. And it also makes a lot of mentions about how 
very slowly Goliath moves. And the other weird thing is how long it takes for Goliath to react to the sight of this young shepherd boy. You would think, you know, I'm this giant. I'm about to engage in a sword fight. And you see this small shepherd boy coming along. You think you would react and realize that, hang on, maybe I've got something wrong here. Maybe this isn't quite what I'm expecting. But Goliath never does. It's clear that David is in no way intending to engage in hand-to-hand combat. And you think that Goliath would react to that. And the other comment that we mentioned at the start, you know, am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? Now, David only has one stick. He only has one shepherd's staff. So why does David say sticks, plural? And one possible explanation is that historians have suggested that Goliath may suffer from a condition known as acromegaly. Now, acromegaly, it comes from a tumor on the pituitary gland, and it leads to giantitis, extreme growth. Guys like um, Tony Robbins is someone who's enormous, someone like Andre the Giant. They've got this look about them that they're obviously enormous people, and they've grown so much due to this acromegaly. And one side effect that can occur is blurred vision and doubled vision. So that's one possible explanation as to why Goliath says sticks, plural, rather than one stick, singular. And some other side effects indicate that he is vulnerable. You know, he was led by an attendant and he says, come to me. You know, that phrase, come to me, that we mentioned before, indicating that maybe he can't go to David and that he wants David to come to him so that he can engage in battle. So the Israelites, looking down from the ridge, seeing this giant, this absolute monster of a man, but they didn't realize that this source of what they perceived as his greatest strength was actually the source of his greatest weaknesses as well. And I think that's the important lesson for all of us in all of life, as well as in Survivor, is that giants are not always as scary as they seem. And sometimes the shepherd boy has a sling in his pocket. Now, I think that's a super interesting story and a a great take. It's from a book called David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. I want to now talk to the application to Survivor and specifically Champions versus Contenders and potentially David versus Goliath. The rest of the book, Malcolm Gladwell, goes into two parts. The first is how perceived advantages aren't always so advantageous and how perceived disadvantages or weaknesses aren't quite so detrimental. If we're thinking of this in the terms of champions versus contenders, now the champions have been built up as you know the top of their field. We've got sporting royalty, absolute sporting superstars. So perhaps this is their greatest strength in some regard in that they have the ability to win challenges early. But if you think about that in the game of Survivor, If you think about the biggest, most obvious physical threats, very rarely do they get all the way to the end. The the perfect type of person to take out just before or just after the merge because they are such an obvious physical threat. So whilst this obvious advantage might be a help to them early in the game in terms of winning challenges, it's going to very quickly become 
a source of their greatest weakness as we get around that merge time and people start wanting to target the people who are most likely to win these individual immunities. Now, if you think of the contenders, on the other hand, this perceived weakness that they're just the, the underdog, they're the, the everyday Aussies, I'd like to think that whilst this is the perception of them, a source of their strength is that hopefully some of these guys know Survivor and that knowing Survivor can be an absolute massive advantage to them when it comes to taking on these champions who perhaps don't know Survivor so well. So I'd like to hope that they can turn around some of these perceived disadvantages into advantages and use it against these champions, these giants, these goliaths. I think it's a super interesting read and there's, as I said, there's two other parts to this book which I might dive into if it starts to come to fruition later in the season where I can talk about some more of these advantages and disadvantages that aren't quite so. But I'm really looking forward to and I think everyone is hoping for the underdog to take down the giant. The giant.